Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 49 of the Australian Hiker podcast and our bonus episode for December 2017. Today's episode is titled Kangaroo Island Wilderness Trail, Here We Come. Tonight's episode is uh, a bit of an overview of our expectations of our upcoming Kangaroo Island Wilderness Trail trip, which will be uh, starting on Boxing Day uh, in the coming few weeks. I'm really looking forward to this one. It brings together two of my favourite things, uh, hiking and the ocean. So I'm very, very pleased that we're going to be hiking by the ocean. Um, one of the things that surprised us about this trip is is um, not so much the, the complexity of the actual trip itself, but probably the logistics of actually getting there and doing this trip. And to give you an idea on that, we actually, uh, well, I actually expected to be doing this trip in Easter earlier this year. And for some strange reason, I assumed that I'd be able to book on quite easily. Uh, and was a bit, a bit, a bit, uh, uh, a bit miffed to discover that, uh, uh, booking three or four weeks out doesn't really work. Uh, and so when I couldn't get bookings for Easter, uh, I looked at what the options were. And certainly, as far as time available for me off work, and decided that Christmas was probably going to be a good opportunity. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure what to expect, whether um, it's going to be super busy. I guess normal people do other things at Christmas time, uh, like spend time with family rather than escape family, which is what we're doing. Um, but in terms of things like uh, booking ferries and so on, uh, Christmas time is probably a pretty busy uh, time of the year uh, as well. So the trail may or may not be uh, busy, but certainly the island, and uh, apparently it's a big thing to do New Year's Eve on the island. Um, we'll be off the island by then. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how we go. Okay, first a few logistics about what we're do- going to be doing. Now, Kangaroo Island, for those of you who aren't familiar with Australia or um, for those of you who aren't familiar with South Australia. <laughs> for those um, Australians who aren't familiar with <laughs> Australia. Um, uh, Kangaroo Island is actually a large island. It's about 4,400 square kilometres, uh, just south of, uh, of, of Adelaide. Population of 4,200-odd uh, people, and most of those tend to live in um, the, the main township of Kingscote, which is just over 2,000 of those. I must admit, I'm one of these people that uh, I'm, I'm Australian and I've lived in Australia for most of my life, not all. Uh, and I was surprised at our, about how big Kangaroo Island was. Uh, when you think that Australia is an island, uh, Tasmania is an island, uh, and you tend to think about any other islands being much smaller uh, and, and, and relatively insignificant, uh, this one actually surprised me. It's quite a large, uh, it's a la- large island. As I mentioned, the logistics of this uh, this trip were 
what is the the biggest complexity, not rather than the actual difficulty of the walk itself. So, as you, most of you are aware, we live in Canberra, the nation's capital, uh, and for us, we, um, as I said, we're starting this walk on Boxing Day, so the twenty sixth of December, and we decided that airfares at that time of the year are pretty expensive, like they are worldwide. So we decided that we're actually going to drive. And for us, that's a 10-hour drive to Adelaide on Christmas Day. Uh, thankfully, though, I think the roads will be pretty quiet on Christmas Day. Everyone will be busy spending the time with their family. Yeah, that's right. Look, look and I think also in terms of... Um Flying, uh, we realised that once we actually got onto the island, um, we would have to make our way to the trailhead, um, and that was a transfer of some kind. And so it just started to stack up that uh, taking our own vehicle was probably the the easiest and uh, more, most convenient uh, way to go. The other thing from a logistics point of view as well is there's actually going to be three of us doing this trip. So Jill and myself and a friend Kelly who you'll get to hear from um, when we're actually on the trail itself. So again, three people uh, uh, trying to get uh, transport from the ferry terminal down to the trailhead. Having a vehicle was making things much easier. Now, getting to Kangaroo Island itself... um, there's a number of choices here. You can certainly go through and get an airfare from Adelaide to Kangaroo Island. Um, uh, and as, as we said, it was starting to get a bit expensive. I mean, a return airfare from Adelaide to Kangaroo Island is around about $280 Australian, um, as opposed to $98 per person uh, for the ferry uh, and $98 for the car as well. So a much cheaper option uh, and a much more uh, convenient option as well. Uh, and then you have the price of transport to the trailhead as, as well. And and this is something I didn't realise, but the um, the trip to uh, Flinders Chase National Park is about a hundred and something kilometres, one hundred and twenty kilometres. Which you know, again, you don't realise that the island's so big. But again, when you when you're having you're on the island and you now have to travel that to actually get started on your walk, um, again, the vehicle made sense. Now, a bit about the trail itself. <clears throat> the Kangaroo Island Wilderness Trail is a Class 4 trail, um, and what that means is the signage may not always be as good. Uh, certainly, you need to have the ability to look after yourself. Um, there are four, uh, four campsites, uh, but in between that, you're pretty much on your own. So it's um, the altitude change for most of the trip is not that great, uh, but the the distances certainly can be for uh, uh, for for some walkers. As far as people on the trail is concerned, uh, there's a maximum of twelve independent walkers and thirty six commercial walkers, and this is for a four day uh, a four night five day trip. The campgrounds themselves cater for twenty four walkers, uh, and that's the twelve independent walkers, and of the commercial walkers. Uh, 12 commercial walkers. And I had a look at the uh, the booking system tonight. Uh, there are no spare spaces in the time that we're actually going to be doing this trip. So we expect to be seeing sort of 24 people at each of the trailheads each night. Well, not really because we're part of those 24, aren't we? We are. So another, <laughs> another 21 people. 
this trail is not recommended for children under 10 years of age, but I suppose that's a generalisation here. If you've got younger kids who are well and truly into uh, doing long trips like this, they may be fine. Why, why is that, do you think? Why has that been... I'm not quite sure, and I suppose this is probably the same sort of recommendation for something like the Overland Track as well. I think it's um, uh, the trail itself is, uh, is actually 61 kilometres in length, uh, and it's not an overly long trail, uh, but as I said, it's five days, four nights, and this is classed as for moderately fit people. Um, and certainly there are, and I'll go. I'll talk about the the days in a moment. But there can be some long days, so it might be if you if you've got very young children, it might be just a bit more difficult for them to try and uh, do what they need to. Whereas adults, certainly, if I was doing this as a solo hike, um, I could I could potentially look at doing this as a two to three day hike without too much problem. Uh, so it it shouldn't be a difficult sort of hike doing it in five days. Uh, now, the track fee, and there is a track fee for this one, is $161 per person, uh, but there are um, cheap. it is cheaper for concessioner holders and older children. This fee is going up next year. I noticed looking towards mid to late next year, the track fee goes up to $165. So uh, it's cheaper than the Overland track, which was $200-odd, um, but these fees go towards paying for the facilities, maintaining uh, uh, what's there, uh, and there are a, a decent facilities at each of the uh, the trailheads. The trail is on the southwest of Kangaroo Island, and according to the Kangaroo Island website, the best time to go is March until November. Uh, we're supposedly outside that. Uh, however, this time of the year <laughs> <Yay>. is... <laughs> However, this time of the year is actually seal breeding season, so um, there should be plenty to actually see and look at, uh, look at it around this area. Does that mean there are lots of sharks as well? Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, and for those of you that uh, I used to be a scuba diver in a past life, uh, and certainly um, uh, uh, there are uh, uh, a number of sharks around the island in that southern part of Australia. So, um, And the point about being a scuba diver was we were often aware of... Um, uh, seal breeding colon- colonies being an attractive place for sharks. So ho- fingers crossed, hopefully we won't see any. Um, okay, so as we mentioned, it's a five-day, four-night uh, trip for moderately fit people. Uh, night one, um, we're basically um, have a 12-kilometre, four-hour uh, walk uh, to get to the campground. Day two, uh, 14 kilometres. Seven hours. Which suggests it's a slightly more strenuous walk um, if it's not that much longer in length, but, you know, it's taking almost double. Day three, 13 kilometres and six and a half hours. And this is where the optional side spur comes in. Um, And this optional walk is approximately about four hours extra. So potentially if uh, you're doing the optional walk, you're talking about a 10 and a half hour day. What it can mean though is um, rather than carrying your full pack all the way down and coming back basically to the campground, uh, you can go through and just carry a small day pack, come and click your main pack when you've, you've returned back to the, the main trail itself. But potentially day three is the big day. Day four, 13 and a half kilometers, six and a half hours. And then day five, 
um, is uh, approximately seven and a half kilometres, and it's around about two and a half um, uh, hours uh, uh, all up. So it's not an overly it's not an overly long sort of trip to finish off. And this is where you need to uh, start returning back to the start point of the trip. So day five, you normally get a, a return bus trip back to the start, back to the trailhead, and that's an additional $25 on top of the actual trip fee itself. Now, as far as facilities are concerned, um, you know, when, you, you, when you're paying for a, uh, a trip, you expect to get something for it, uh, and this trip is no different. Uh, there are campsites with tent platforms and pads uh, on each of the nights. There's basic camp furniture, uh, and that'll be interesting to see what uh, what that looks like. I haven't actually seen many photos of that, so I'm guessing it's just benches and, and, and basic tables. Uh, long drop toilets, composting toilets, um, and fires aren't available to be used on the trail, particularly at this time of the year where potentially bushfires can be an issue. Uh, so it's liquid fuel or gas stoves only, uh, so no uh, no wood fires. There's also rainwater tanks at each of the uh, the trailheads, and the recommendation from parks is to actually filter or treat the water, but that's a personal choice there. Now, we talked about the, the peak being up until November, uh, and I went through and had a look at the weather uh, for what to, re- what to expect over our trip, and the December maximum and minimum average is around about 14 to 22 uh, and looking at the forecast at over the next few days, we're looking somewhere between 14 degrees and 30 degrees. That's that's a little bit outside of the average, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. And I think the um, you know the nighttime temperatures are going to be pretty good. 14 degrees. That's bordering on being just a tiny bit warm. Uh, so certainly, we're we going to be carrying lightweight sleeping bags on this one. If you decide to do this trail in the middle of winter, so July, the averages are 15 degrees maximum for the average and 9 degrees minimum. So again, not overly cold compared to what we're used to in this part of Australia. Um, and it's actually probably a, uh, the cooler months are likely to be a bit more comfortable. But being a Mediterranean climate, you'd also expect a lot more rain. So looking at the rain forecast for over the next couple of weeks, there are, is some rain forecast, but not certainly not a lot. It's just a you know a, a bit here and a bit there. Well, it'll be interesting also because it is a, an island. Um, how uh, we'll be impacted by the wind? I would expect you know partly we're on the coast, uh, partly it's a small island, so I'm expecting the wind to be quite high, and um, you're going to have to stick that hat on the head somehow. Now, the Kangaroo Island uh, Wilderness Trail has quite a good website, and I'll go through and put the link to that on the show notes. Um, They have a number of resources available on that, including uh, GPS files for those of you that want to download, and certainly uh, I'll I'll be using a GPS, not from a navigation perspective, but more just to uh, log what we're doing as far as distances and altitudes. Uh, The packing list that's provided... um, in all honesty, looks very familiar to me. That uh, it's almost very similar to the overland track, and and in some respects, it's a bit hard to be too much different. Um, but it goes through and provides a fairly extensive list of things to go through and carry. Um, one of the things I find quite interesting with that list is uh, they give a top ten tips as part of that, um, and one of those is that you should avoid carrying more than one third of your body weight for a safe and enjoyable walking experience. 
Now, for me, who's currently um, just on 99 kilos, I'm sort of at the heaviest I've been for a while, uh, that would mean carrying 33 kilos. And there's no way knowing. I'm a, I'm a big, strong guy. I, there's no way knowing I want to be carrying 33 kilos. I must admit, I, I'm a strong believer of a maximum of 20% of the body weight, so one-fifth, uh, not one-third. Uh, and I think, uh, particularly given this time of the year where it's not going to be overly cold, um, it uh, there's no real need to carry excessive um, uh, material and uh, equipment. Uh, I think we can certainly get away with a lot of the things that, uh, or without a lot of the things that are actually on the list. Now, I mentioned that this is a grade four track, and one of the things that does surprise me, well, sorry, it probably doesn't surprise me, is that um, the overland track at around about 65 kilometres for the, the, the main track itself, for this track at around about 61 kilometres, is probably aimed at the keen hiker that's not a real fanatic or the average hiker who might do a long trip and five days is probably as long as they're ever going to go through and do. So I think for a lot of people, uh, very much like the overland track, they, they put a big emphasis on providing a lot of material, a lot of detail, more so for people that probably aren't regular hikers. I think if you're a regular hiker who's doing five, six, 10-day, 14-day trips, uh, this, trap's, this trip is not going to present a lot of difficulty. But if you're the average sort of person who only does maybe a five-day trip every couple of years, if they're lucky, or this might be the longest trip you've ever done, uh, the information is there, and they certainly give you enough information and they give you enough warnings uh, to go through and make sure you prepare for it. The uh, The other aspect as well of uh, of a difficult sort of trip is of being classed as a grade four is while there is good signage on this trail and good markers, uh, there might actually be a bit of distance between that. So you do need to be able to know how to use a compass. A lot of this track is... Uh, following along the, the coastline, or at least for a section of it. Um, and certainly, um, it's a bit hard to go um, any any worse off than being going south. If you're going if you're going too far south, you're in the water. Stop at the water. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but certainly, um, uh, you know, it's, it's a matter about, particularly on day three, where you're potentially doing a 10-hour day, that's a long day for a, a typical sort of hiker. So it's a matter of knowing what your own abilities are, uh, knowing what your average pace is, uh, knowing how much water you drink. Um, and the recommendation is to take anything up to three litres of water. And certainly for us, um, I tend to, if I'm hiking in the middle of summer, uh, carry a litre of uh, a litre an hour of water. So um, if I was hiking around uh, the local area, uh, potentially I'd be drinking anything up to sort of seven or eight litres of water in a 10-hour you know, day. Uh, but I'm not going to be carrying that much water over this sort of trip. But I will certainly be carrying at least three litres of water. I think it's a matter of um, loading up in the in the morning, um, carrying your required litres during the day, and then loading up at the end of the day as well. So that's the other thing to remember. You don't actually have to um, drink all of your water while you're actually walking, and neither would you want to do that. Our... Uh, Trekking partner on this one will be Kelly, uh, we mentioned earlier. And, um, if, you know, it'd be interesting to see how Kelly goes and uh, what 
uh, you know, what the interviews are going to be like for her. Uh, she hasn't done any multi-day hiking, uh, so this will be her first time. And uh, her other hiking has been a little bit more in the category of long walks, um, if we can put it that way. Um, she's incredibly keen, and even uh, even though she has a foot issue and uh, gets quite sore feet, um, she's still prepared to give it a go. And uh, we weren't aware of this, but she's actually found uh, one of the uh, campsite owners who have a service where they will deliver your full pack to the campsite at the end of each day and they will con- come and collect it the following morning um, to deliver it to the next campsite. Um, so she's in this great arrangement where she gets to carry a small pack during the day with some snacks and lunch and her water. Uh, we'll carry our full packs and hers will magically appear um, at the campsite. Um, so, you know, she's been very uh, resourceful. She definitely wants to do this and isn't wanting to let anything get in her way. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, good honour in it. I, You know, for me, it's one of those things that says whatever it is that you want to do, there's always a way. There's always um, something that you can substitute, something that you can deploy to overcome um, any barrier you feel you might be experiencing. Um, Certainly um, you can carry a lot more than we do. You can carry a lot less than we do. Um, We're basically making a decision based on comfort and the length of the trip. Uh, certainly, we're not going to be moving fast on this uh, this walk. Uh, so, um, carrying, tra- going really light, going ultra light, is probably no major consideration. And worst case scenario, we can load Kelly's pack up, and it can get delivered. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I mean, just to give you an idea on this trip, I normally carry a compact camera, uh, but only because of the scenery and what I'm expecting to see, I will be carrying a an SLR camera uh, with a reasonably large lens on it. Uh, so I'm carrying over a kilo of camera, uh, which is something I normally don't do on most hikes. And I get to carry the digital, but I have to remember to stop and take a photo and then walk on, apparently. <laughs> The other thing I'll go through and post over the next few weeks as well is our food list. Uh, and again, just like uh, equipment, uh, food lists are very specific. For us, over the last two and a half years, I've been keeping quite detailed lists of what we carry, weights and volumes and the whole lot. Um, so to give you an indication, I'll need to go through and revisit it and see what it's like now. Uh, but typically, we tend to carry around about um, uh, 730 grams per person uh, of per, dry, day. per day of dry weight food. And certainly that'll bulk up and increase up um, uh, once it's had water added to it. Um, but, uh, you know, given this time of the year, it's hot. Uh, it's, you know, we don't need huge amounts of food to, to keep us warm. Uh, so I'll go through and put a detailed list of what that looks like as well. And I think I wouldn't normally uh, do this, um, but uh, I think it's probably wise to include the insect repellent on this trip. Um, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that we'll need it um, and pretty sure that we'll be happy that we have it. 
Okay, so what are we expecting to see? As Jill said, this is a bushwalk, but it's a bushwalk uh, where there's sections uh, and, and good sections that are close to the ocean. And I must admit, I uh, I have an affinity with the ocean, and, um, and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to actually being able to walk around the ocean. Water temperatures um, uh, aren't overly warm, at least from my perspective at this, uh, in South Australia, uh, but certainly I will be, bring a, a, a pair of swimmers because I think um, there'll be opportunities to stop and have a swim in some protected areas as we go along. You, you can test out the shark theory. <laughs> All right. I'll watch out the shore. Um Certainly, there's plenty of wildlife. Although looking at the uh, the actual website for the trail, they say a lot of the wildlife is uh, is gone more into the 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 denser, bushier areas just to get escape from the heat. Uh, but uh, but as I mentioned, it's it's seal breeding season, so it'll be interesting to see what the uh, uh, what the seal uh, activity is like at that time of the year. Um, I've seen a lot of photos, and again, purely only it's only from what I've seen, having not been there before. So I've got a fairly high expectation about what we're going to see. So uh, certainly there is there's quite a lot of wildlife on this island. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that and getting quite a few, few good photos. Every time I see uh, photos of uh, people on. Uh, the Wilderness Trail on Kangaroo Island. Um, everyone's looking very relaxed. Uh, they're, they're almost uh, glamorous shots. So I've got high expectations of what it's going to be like, but I'm, I'm sure it's not quite the same. We'll see. Okay, that's all for this week's episode. We hope you've enjoyed this basic overview of the Kangaroo Island Wilderness Trail. Um, we haven't been there before, as, as uh, you're aware, so we're looking forward to seeing what it's like and we're looking forward to doing the write-up with the images uh, in early January. Next week's episode, which is our next regular episode for uh, uh, December, is Food on the Trail. And we'll be going through and looking at um, re- some recommendations uh, about what to carry and what to look for when choosing food for hiking. As always, this episode is available to listen to through our website, through SoundCloud, through Stitcher Radio and iTunes. And if you have time, please rate us on iTunes to help get the message out there. That's all for this week. Bye for now. And bye from me.